First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open with me to Romans chapter 12? Uh, This is the final week uh, in this uh, series and this great chapter in the Word of God. We've been spending uh, the last month or so um, asking God to show us from this portion of His Word um, how we can be new uh, in this new year. Now, I know we've just crossed over into the month of February, so it's getting a little harder to, to say this is still the new year, but, but it's still new-ish, right? We still have uh, 11 months left uh, in 2018. And of course, what we're asking God to do in our life is to change us and to enable us to live differently, not only in 2018, uh, but in every year to come as well. Uh, And today we're going to see that living differently means loving differently. That living differently means loving differently. Let's start by reading God's Word together, Romans 12, beginning in verse 9, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter today. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, today that we can be here together, uh, that we can worship you openly, that we can study your word openly. And Father, we pray, uh, Lord, that you would teach us that you would show us today how to love like you love. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this uh, section of Romans 12 starts out by talking about love uh, pretty much right out of the gate. Uh, The the first phrase, right, in in verse 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. And then in verse 10, we see a reference to love as well. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And, and I believe, as many others do, that, that really the rest of this passage is basically an unpacking, a description of what that Christian love looks like in practice. This passage shows us how we can live differently by loving differently and And really, there isn't anything that should more define the way a Christian lives than how they love. Remember one day someone came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important one? And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So according to Jesus, there's nothing, right, more important than loving God and loving others. It means that if a Christian should do anything, a Christian should love. You remember the night before Jesus went to the cross, he said this to his 12 disciples. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus was basically saying that the defining characteristic, right, of a Christian is his or her love. That our love should be so distinctive, that it should be so different, that people should be able to see it and know that we're a follower of Jesus Christ just based on how we love. Church, don't you want to love with that kind of a love? With a Christ-like Love. God wants to show us how to do that. He wants to show us how to love differently. And he wants to do that here in Romans chapter 12. Of course, we need to remember that this passage of Romans 12 that we've just read uh, didn't just pop up out of nowhere. There, there's a connection but between what we're looking at this morning and, and what we've seen for the past several weeks in the earlier verses of Romans chapter 12. And in fact, here's the deal. You can only really be a new loving you if, first of all, you're a new surrendered you. All the way back in verse 1, we saw that we've been saved because of the love and the grace of God. And so loving differently starts with accepting God's love into our lives. And then it only happens, it's only possible if every day we're laying our lives down as a living sacrifice to the one who has loved us. The new loving you has to be a new surrendered you and also it has to be a new transform you. Like we saw in verse 2, the world is trying to squeeze us and, and press us into its mold, but God wants to break the mold. God wants to transform us and make us more like Jesus. And it's only as he daily transforms us and changes us that we're going to be able to love the way he's calling us to love here. It's only as we're walking every day with the one who is love that we can love like him. And then last week we saw that a new loving you also means a new serving you. That's what verses 3 through 8 are all about. Using our spiritual gifts that God has given us to serve one another. And yet we know that that's not disconnected from love. If our service and our gifts are to mean anything, then they're to be used out of love. They're to be motivated by love. Over in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is another place where Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And right in the middle of that section on spiritual gifts, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. In other words, it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what gifts we have. It doesn't matter even what we do. If we don't have love, God says it doesn't mean anything. 
And I think by now it should be clear from all of these passages that God really cares about whether we love and God really cares about how we love. He wants us to love not the way the world defines love as a sentimental feeling that comes and goes. He wants us to love the way he loves. And again, in Romans 12, I think we find a pretty comprehensive definition of the way that God wants us to love. In fact, this morning we're going to move quickly, but I want to show us nine different qualities of the kind of love that God wants us to have. This is the way he wants us to love this year in 2018 and every year after this. First off, God says that the new loving you and the new loving me must love sincerely. Love sincerely. Look at verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. God says love without hypocrisy. The word hypocrite that's embedded in that word is, is the same word that Jesus used for the Pharisees all the time. It's, it's a word that means to be an actor, to, to wear a mask, to play a part in a play and pretend to be something that you're not. And God says here, don't love like that. Don't love like you're playing a part. Don't, don't pretend like you love. Really love. Right? That's the way that God wants us to love. He wants us to love people with all of our heart. That's the way he wants us to love him. And it's the way he wants us to love others. And again, this love is not like the world's love. It's not a sentimental feeling that comes and goes. It has real concrete feet to it, if you will. And that's why the rest of verse 9 says, listen, let love be sincere. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. As one person put it, real love isn't passive about evil. It has an intense revulsion to it. And if we really love God, then we're really going to hate sin. And that's not only true in the way that we love God, it's also true in the way that we love others. Because if we really love someone, then we want what's best for them. And we know that what God has called evil is not good for them. It's harmful for them. And so we hate that evil and we don't want to see that evil in the life of someone that we love. Instead, we want to cling to what is good because we know that what God has declared to be good is good for the people that we love. Now listen, we can say that we love people all we want. But if we're introducing evil things into their lives, and if we are leading people down evil pathways, then we are not really loving them. Young ladies, listen, the boyfriend who tries to get you to sleep with him because he says that he really loves you, doesn't really love you. His actions betray that he doesn't. Real love hates what is evil and clings to what is good. God says we must love sincerely. And then in verse 10, God says we must love affectionately. Look at that verse with me. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. The word translated kindly affectionate there is, is a word that speaks about the kind of family sort of love, the, the kind of love, for example, that, that you see between parents and their children. 
you know, again, we had such an amazing time in Kenya over the past couple weeks, but one of the most difficult things for me uh, with, with traveling, one of the hardest things about it is I really do not like uh, just being away uh, from Megan and the boys. It, it's just hard. And for many of you who travel for business, you know that are in the military, how difficult it is to be away. And yet, what a joy there is, right, when you're able to come back home and you're able to be reunited. It almost just being away just, right, reminds you, right, of how special, how important those relationships are. Of course, this week, uh, the day after I got uh, back, uh, one of our kids got sick. And so in the middle of the night, my wife and I are there on our knees cleaning up the, I'll just say, the evidence of that sickness, which was all over the house somehow. And at four in the morning, and I said, you know what, I came back too soon. I should have stayed uh, another couple days. I'm officially back home now. But, but there is, isn't there just a special love, right, that, that God has placed in families. And, and what the Word of God is saying here is that we need to love each other with that kind of family love. And that's not just a figure of speech, right? This isn't just an expression. Eternally, we are family in Christ, right? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, love each other with that kind of family love. It says, actually, be kindly affectionate with brotherly love. Now, just just as an aside here, uh, there is actually a clue buried in this verse for who we should all be rooting for in the Super Bowl tonight. (laughs) Because the Greek word brotherly love in this text is the word, ready, Philadelphia. (laughs) Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Root for love, people of God. Don't root for the evil empire. (laughs) I know that all the Patriot fans in our church are ready to stage a a walkout right now. (laughs) But I love you guys too. And I pray for you, but I love you. I love you. But, but God wants us to love that way. He wants us to love with a brotherly kind of love. This is one of my favorite verses to quote to my sons. I said, when you kicked your brother in the shin right there, was that a brotherly kind of love? Right? That, that's the kind of love that he wants us to have. Brotherly love, family love. And loving one another like family means that we don't love someone just based on how cool they are or how attractive they are or how successful we think They are, right? We love everyone because God loves everyone. In fact, it goes on to say in this verse that in honor, we should give preference to one another. I love how the ESV translates that. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's almost like a contest, right? Almost like we're competing to see how much honor we can give to the other people in this church rather than receiving that honor for ourselves. And that shows up in very concrete, practical ways, right? One just really simple but super practical example that we've been talking about a lot lately because of the new parking team, right, is even where we park when we come here. You know, everywhere else that that you park, right, when you go to the store or whatever, the parking lot fills up from the closest spots to the building out, right, because everyone wants the best spots. Wouldn't it be cool if here at our church the parking lot filled up from the farthest parking spots in? right? Because we want to give honor and preference to one another. No, you, you park closer to the building than I, I'm going to go as far out as I can, right, to give that honor and that preference to you. And it shows up in a thousand different ways. And the way that we treat others, the way that we value their preferences, their desires, 
He says, love each other with a brotherly, family love. God says, love affectionately. Love sincerely. Here's number three. He says, love diligently. Look at verse 11. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word lagging there is a word that means lazy. It's like you're running in a race and you're, you're lagging behind, right? And this verse says, don't do that. Don't lag behind. Run ahead. Serve enthusiastically. And yet sometimes we can all get lazy. Sometimes we all have that tendency to think, you know, I've done my time, right? I, I've served. Now it's time for other people to serve me. And yet that's not the heart of God. Right, as long as God has given us strength and energy and vitality and years to live on this planet that's moving around the sun, right, let's use all the energy that he has given us to serve him. I love this expression where it says to be fervent in spirit. It literally means to bubble up and boil over. Isn't that a great image? Right, that we're just so passionate about serving God. It's like a pot of boiling water that we just can't even contain because we want to serve him. And I, and I think that's the key. It, it, the last phrase of that verse says, serving the Lord. Right, we need to remember who we're serving. It doesn't matter what ministry team you're on and what human being happens to be the head of that team. You're not serving that individual. Ultimately, you're serving God. Ultimately, we're all serving the same person. We're serving the one who died for us. We're serving our Savior. We're serving our friend. We're serving our Lord. We're serving the King of Kings. We're serving the great I Am. We're serving the one who one day will come back and rule and reign forever. That's the one we're serving. We're serving the Lord. And when we're serving the Lord and when we're fervent in spirit, I think that motivates us, right, to not lag behind. I don't know about you, but I pray that by God's strength, I'll be able to serve the Lord every day until the day I die. And then on into eternity. Because our Lord is worth it. God wants us to love diligently. Here's number four. The fourth quality of love is there in verse 12. He wants us to love enduringly. Enduringly. You know, it's not always going to be easy to love, is it? Sometimes our love is going to be tested by hard things that we go through in life. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love endures all things. Love bears all things. It says love never fails. That the kind of love that God wants to see in our life is an enduring kind of love. In verse 12, he says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly, in prayer. I think the middle phrase in that verse is really key to understanding that verse because there are times when we're going to be called upon to be patient, to endure in tribulation, whatever that tribulation might be, whether it's just the stresses and the strains of daily life or, or whether it's outright persecution that comes upon us because of our faith and our walk with God. And we're, we're called to endure what we're called to persevere. We saw that throughout the book of Hebrews, right? An enduring, persevering kind of faith. And we're going to be able to do that if we do what the first phrase says, if we rejoice in hope, right? As believers, no matter how hard things might get in this life, we have a hope. We just sang about it the very last song, right? That one day we will be with him. And one day he will set all things right. And we have a reason to rejoice. We have a hope. That is like an anchor for our souls. 
And we can do these things. We can rejoice in hope. We can endure through tribulation because we know we can always go to our great God in prayer. The very last phrase says steadfastly in prayer. Be constant in prayer, right? Pray when things are good. Pray when things are bad. Friend, can I ask you right now, is that phrase right there an accurate description of your prayer life, my prayer life right now? Are we steadfast, constant in prayer? That's the only way that we're going to be able to love enduringly like God has called us to. Number five, God called us to love like he loves, to love sacrificially. Verse 13 lists two practical ways that we need to love each other sacrificially in the church. It says there, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. So the first way we need to love sacrificially is by giving, right? The word means to distribute, to, to share the things that God has given to us. And again, if we understand that the church is a family, then we understand that if someone in our family has a need, and it's within our power, right, to meet that need, that we want to meet that need for the glory of God. That's what we see the early church doing. In Acts chapter 2, they held their possessions loosely, it says, and they gave to anyone according to their need. In Acts chapter 4, Barnabas came and even sold a piece of land, right, so that money can be distributed and, and, and apparently used to serve the needs of the body. Obviously, we live in a different context, in a different day, but this call to give to meet the needs of other Christians has not gone away. Maybe right now, God is just placing a name on your heart. Someone that's maybe in your life group, in your Sunday school class. Someone that's in your life circles. They have a need. And right now, God's bringing that need to your heart. God's calling you perhaps to meet that need. Now, listen, I, I know we need to use discernment here. I know that there are some who would take advantage of the generosity of others. But at the end of the day, here, here's, here's the question. If we're going to err, do you think God would rather us err on the side of giving or on the side of hoarding? I think the answer to that question is pretty easy. God wants us to love by giving, but also he's calling us to love sacrificially by showing hospitality. Now, that was so important, of course, in the ancient world as they traveled and most of them did not have uh, the financial means to be able to afford to stay in an inn. And so Christian brothers and sisters would take in travelers even if they did not know them. And, and, and even though we live in a different day, hospitality is still such an important way that God is calling us to show the gospel to, to one another in the body. Right? To maybe singles in our church who are away from their family. Maybe young married couples that are looking for an older couple to invest in them. Maybe senior adults to, to invite folks into your home to share a meal together, to share life together. And this is also a way that we can show the gospel to those who don't know Christ, right? Neighbors and friends. And, and again, maybe pray and, and ask God, who's somebody in the next few weeks that you would have us invite to our home that we could just begin to love on and share the gospel with. I know some of you are doing that this very week. You're hosting members of the African Children's Choir in your homes that are going to be singing and uh, leading us in worship on Friday night. That, that's love in action. It's love on display. And it's loving sacrificially. You'll skip down to verse 15. You'll see the sixth quality of love that God wants to see in our lives. God wants us to love sympathetically. To love sympathetically. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is such an important verse. 
Because it shows, love shows itself. And whether we obey this verse or not, love rejoices when people that it loves rejoices. And love weeps when people that it loves are weeping. And it's so easy to tell as well when that love is not a reality. You know, one person had said that the reason why it talks about rejoicing first is because that's actually the hardest part of this verse. And I actually agree with that because, listen, when love isn't genuine, when, when the person we love is really ourselves instead of that other person, then instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice, what do we do? Right? We get jealous. And we wish that that good thing that is happening to them was happening to us. Right? So we get on Facebook and we, uh, we see someone rejoicing over maybe a cruise that they just got done having and how wonderful it was and how relaxing it was. Instead of being happy for them, we get jealous. Right? We say, well, it must be nice. Wish I had the money or the time to do something like that, right? And we need to be careful right there, right? Right at that moment, we need to realize we're doing the opposite of what this verse says, right? Instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice, right, we're being jealous of them. And sometimes that's hard to live this out, isn't it? Sometimes as a single person who longs to be married, it's hard to rejoice, right, when you get another wedding invitation in the mail, Sometimes as a couple that's struggling with infertility, right, it's hard to rejoice when you get that baby announcement in the mail. And yet it's right at that moment where the gospel needs to shine through. For God has called us to rejoice with those who rejoice because we long to see good things happen in the lives of those we love. And we trust God's plan as it works out and as it unfolds in our own lives. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And the second part is just as important. Weep with those who weep. You know, it's said that when hard times happen to you is when you find out who your friends really are. And there's a lot of truth in that statement. In fact, it's really another way of saying what this verse says, right? To weep with those who weep. Those who pretend to love will not be with you when the weeping starts because weeping isn't fun. Love shows up at hospitals and at funeral parlors and in nursing homes. The people who are there with you then are people who love you. And God wants us to love each other like that in the church because we are family. When that love is there and it shows up in the good times and in the bad, it gives a powerful witness to the world that is watching that expression of love. Let's love sympathetically. Number seven, and this is so important as well, let's love humbly. Verse 16 says, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own own opinion. And so he begins by a call to harmony, right? A call to unity. Not that we're gonna agree on everything, but that together we're gonna seek the mind of Christ, as it says in Philippians chapter two. And and then he begins to unpack what that kind of humble love looks like. And he says, don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. 
Now, some people have misinterpreted that verse and have said when, when he says not to set your mind on high things, they've actually taught that it means that Christians are not supposed to think about, you know, philosophy or, or science or, or anything that's high and it might be above us. That's certainly not what this text is saying, right? God wants us to use our minds that he has given us. What this text is saying is that God doesn't want us to be haughty, right? That God doesn't want us to be arrogant, to be proud, to be so proud that we're not willing to do what the next phrase says, to associate with the humble or the lowly or people that the world considers unimportant. Because the truth is there are no, there's no person in the world that God considers unimportant. And he wants us to love people with his love to realize that every person is created in the image of God, that every person has worth, that there are no unimportant people. And sometimes I think that even whole churches kind of miss the mark on this. When a church sets out and says, you know what, the kind of person we're going to try to reach is going to be a, an upwardly mobile, middle-class, 30-something with kids, right? That, that's our target audience. That's who we're trying to reach. Well, what's that basically saying? That's basically saying everybody else isn't that important to you. But the gospel is for everyone. And so God wants the local churches that he has planted, that he is the king of, to be sharing that gospel with every person that we come in contact with, right? Regardless of race, regardless of creed, regardless of socioeconomic class, right? Because we all need the same Jesus. We need to have that humility to understand that we are not above anyone. Because we've been saved by God's grace. We need to have the same heart as the prodigal son in Jesus' parable. Remember, he rehearses that speech on his way home. He says, I'm going to tell my dad, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. I'm only worthy to be your servant. That's the kind of heart we need to have, right? So remember, we're not worthy to be God's son. We're not worthy to be God's daughters, right? It's only because of the grace of God that we've been accepted into this family. And we needed that grace every bit as much as any other person that we will ever meet in our lives. There are no unimportant people. And then part of this verse that's so convicting, right? That last phrase, do not be wise in your own opinion. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? Right? You answer somebody's question. You say, that was a pretty good answer right there. It's pretty strong. Hope they wrote that down. Probably tweetable. Right? And you're just kind of thinking that you're wise in your own opinion, right? And I have a friend that has a shirt. I actually love this shirt, but it says, I am an engineer. Let's just save time and assume I'm correct. Right? I love that. I love that, right? But, but, but obviously, and my friend understands this as well, obviously that's not the heart, right, that God wants us to have right? God doesn't want us to be wise in our own opinion. Now, he wants us to have convictions about the things that he's revealed in his word. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to our opinions, he wants us to be humble. And people who are wise in their own opinion have a hard time listening, and they tend to interrupt a lot, and they have a real hard time with being corrected because they think that what they already know trumps what anybody else knows or might have to say. And God doesn't want us to be like that. He doesn't want us to be wise in our own opinion. Love listens and learns from wise counsel. God says love humbly. That's number seven. Here's number eight. God says love peaceably. 
peaceably. Verse 18 puts it like this, if it, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all Men, what a great verse this is because God wants us to be a peacemaker, right? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He wants us to seek to live in peace with those around us. And there should be a certain friendliness about a Christian. A Christian should not be someone who is always ready to throw down about something, right? Have you met folks like that? They're just angry. They're just ready. Just please say something I could just have a quarrel with you right now about. Right? God doesn't want that. He wants us, as far as depends on me, to be at peace with everybody. But I love how that's phrased because sometimes it's not possible. And God knows that because peace is a two-way proposition. You can do everything within your power to be at peace with someone else, and yet they have just declared that you are their enemy. And you know what? You can't change their heart about that. Only God can change them. And so they may treat you like you're, you're their enemy till the day you die. But let's make sure that if someone is your enemy, it's not because you've decided that, it's because they've decided that. As far as depends on you, live at peace with all men. He tells us to love peaceably. We've seen eight qualities of the kind of love God wants us to have so far, right? He wants us to love sincerely and affectionately and diligently. He wants us to love enduringly, sacrificially, sympathetically. He wants us to love humbly and peaceably. And then finally, number nine, God wants us to love victoriously. Victoriously. And I wish we had more time to kind of camp out on the final verses of this chapter. But beginning in verse 14, you start to see a theme developing about loving people who are being very unloving towards us, right? Verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That is a radical, Christ-like kind of love that only he can place in our hearts that really goes against everything that's in our flesh, doesn't it? Right? Everything within us, when someone wounds us and someone harms us and someone injures us, everything within our flesh wants to lash out and get even with them. That's our sinful, fallen human nature. Only the gospel is able to change that. And that's why verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. Don't try to get other people back. Don't try to get revenge. Realize that injustices will happen in this fallen world. How can we do that? How can we not seek to get? Well, part of it is by understanding verse 19, that vengeance is not our prerogative, that it's God's. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place, make room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. There will be injustices in this world, but church, we have a just and righteous God. And did you know that one day, Every injustice will be dealt with justly. One day, every injustice will be set right. And because we believe that, we can trust and we can put our hope in God. And so he says, what I want you to do as my children right now, don't try to get even yourself, leave that up to me. What I want you to do is I want you to love like I do. I want you to love people like I have loved you. And even though they're evil to you, and even though they're hurtful to you, not only do I not want you to try to get even, I want you to go even further than that. Verse 20, right? says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him a drink, right? For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And that idea of giving them food and giving them drink is really just shorthand, right? For doing whatever you can to bless and love and minister to that person who is being mean and cruel and spiteful to you. Only the gospel can enable us to love that way. But when we do, he says it's almost like heaping up coals of fire on their head. And our prayer should be that God would bring a a shame and a remorse and a repentance over what they have done through our actions that one day would lead them to faith in Christ. And then I love verse 21 because it just sums up this whole final section of verses. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, when we choose to hate, right, when we give in to hate and give in to vengeance, what are we doing? We're allowing evil to triumph over good. But when we don't give in to hate, right, when we don't give in to vengeance, when instead we bless someone who has been mean to us, right, what are we doing? We're overcoming evil with good. And that's just a precursor, right? That's just a prelude of what is going to happen one day because one day evil is going to be overcome by good, right? When Jesus returns, he will utterly and entirely defeat every ounce of evil in the universe. Again, the mission trip that we uh, went on to Africa, of course, is front and center on my mind. And, and you know, um, Again, what an incredible opportunity it was to to do, as we talked about earlier, right? To go and encourage a group of missionaries in the work that they're doing. But like, if you've ever been on a mission trip, pretty much every mission trip you ever go on, right? You come back more encouraged than the encouragement that you gave. You come back more challenged by the places you've been, by the work you've seen, and by the people that you have met. One of the people that I met on this trip, we have a picture of him here, is a gentleman named Getachu. Getachu is uh, an Ethiopian brother who was saved, came to know the Lord, and now he serves as a missionary in South Sudan in a very war-ridden area, seeking to reach Muslims in refugee camps with the gospel. He, He told us on one occasion that a Muslim community he was trying to share with stoned him. Stoned him. I mean, these are things you read about in Scripture, right? And yet he has such a passion to reach Muslims with the gospel that, that even after his motorcycle was stolen, now he rides a bicycle. And sometimes for the furthest communities that he ministers to, he rides a bicycle three hours one way to get there. To share the gospel with them. And then three hours back that night to the missionary compound. Six hours a day. I don't even know what to say when he told me that. And yet God has so blessed the work that he is doing. God has so moved in such a powerful way that in the last five years, seven churches have been planted among these Muslim refugee camps through the ministry of this man. This is loving victoriously, right? Many people would say, you know what? I tried to share the gospel with them, but they stoned me. So I'm kind of done with that. But he didn't do that, right? He has a passion to take the gospel to them. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, if you're really going to be a new you this year, it has to show up in the way that you love other people.
God wants the new you to be a new, loving you. Here's the deal. Christian, that's only going to happen, again, if we're walking daily with the one who is love. We don't have the resources to do what we've talked about on our own, right? We, we, don't have, we can't just go out and say, you know what, I'm going to love better this year. That's not going to get it done. We don't have the resources to love any more than we have loved, but Jesus does. And the closer we walk with him and the more time we spend in his word and in prayer and with other believers, right, the more he's going to grow us and transform us by the renewing of our mind to love the way that he wants us to love because only the Holy Spirit can give us the fruit of the Spirit which starts with love. And if you're here today and you haven't yet made that step to give your life completely over to Jesus, that's the first step to doing any of the things that we've talked about today. Because again, we can't just go out and love people better. It starts with accepting and receiving the love of God into our hearts and into our lives. This is what John wrote in 1 John 4. I'll end with this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then especially listen to this part. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The journey to the new loving you starts with accepting a loving God into your heart. 